Of course, as we said a few minutes ago, we are in the second week of our series called Advent, and we're talking about John the Baptist today. And particularly, John the Baptist had a special message that he would preach uh, where he would talk to the people about repentance. And so the way John the Baptist worked was he was set apart from the very beginning of his career as a special person. People knew he was special, partially because of the way he was dressed. He was dressed in sort of a robe of camel hair, as you can see in, in the uh, image up on the screen. And he liked to enjoy a special meal of appetizing locusts and wild honey. And this is an image of John the Baptist chowing down on a, wild, on a locust with perhaps a side of wild honey. He was a special guy, and his mission was to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God through the Messiah, but in a very special and particular way. John the Baptist was called to bring the people into a state of preparedness to receive the Messiah. And the way he did that was a message of repentance. If you've ever heard the word repent before, and I wager everyone in the room probably has, maybe you have some preconceived notions about what repentance actually means. What does that look like? Maybe you think it's getting your life all cleaned up and spiffy, spiritually speaking, before you can become a Christ follower. Today we're going to take a look at a different viewpoint of repentance, one that we believe is the true version of repentance. But we start with John the Baptist. Now look at this scripture that was read a little bit ago from Linda. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 2, the scripture says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Now bolded the word prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Well, if you're a Greek scholar in the room, then you'll probably appreciate seeing a, uh, a little bit of the original language on the screen. I am not a Greek scholar. If you're not a Greek scholar, then like me, you would probably go to a Bible dictionary if you were curious about the word prepare and what that actually means to somebody like you and me. So here is a definition from the Bible dictionary. Uh, the, the, the dictionary says prepare means to furnish, equip, prepare, or make ready, and of one who makes anything ready for a person or thing. But then pay special attention to the second one there, the B-lettered one. It says of builders to construct, erect with the included idea of adorning or equipping with all things necessary. So here's the idea. The idea is that preparation that John the Baptist is tasked with doing so that the Messiah can come unhindered is kind of like the concept of a building where you prepare a new building you start with the basic building materials and then what's the first thing you do to make a new building you do the foundation and then you build it from the foundation up right and then what do you do after you got the foundation what do you do with those materials You put them together, you start to construct walls, and then you start to put the walls up, right? And you start to use the materials that you've got to build a structure. And if you finish the structure, and the structure is appropriately built, then what can you do with the structure? 
You can live in it. You can occupy it and it protects you and it shelters you and it provides you with warmth and it gives you what you need to live in a modicum of safety. So the idea of preparing the people of Israel is a little bit like this. It's the idea that God prepares a place for himself inside our hearts. He calls us through the good news of Jesus to trust in him and to have faith in him. And the way he does that is by preparing our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus. And there's a very special and particular way that God does this. It's as if God builds the structure of faith in your heart. And then, as that definition said a couple of minutes ago, he comes through and he does what's called staging. Now, when you've got a brand new empty house and you're getting ready to put it on the market, right? When you've got a brand new house or, you know, maybe it's not a brand new house and you put it on the market, staging consists of doing what? Yeah, making it look nice, making it all spiffy and putting furnishings in it and getting it all ready for someone to either buy it and bring their stuff in or uh, that they buy it exactly the way it's furnished and move into it ready to live into, right? So the preparation we're talking about is the idea that God builds faith in the life of a person and prepares that person's heart, that person's whole heart, to receive the good news of Jesus. And the way he does this is in a very special way, which was kind of the second part of John the Baptist's job. Look at what it says in Mark 1 and verse 4. It says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, as we said in the beginning of the message, uh, maybe you have a preconceived notion of what baptism is Maybe you have a preconceived notion of what repentance is. John the Baptist in particular would baptize people, which means he would lead them into the river and they would lower themselves into the water and then back up again. You know, some of the pictures show John the Baptist kind of lowering people backwards into the water. But kind of the traditional Jewish way of baptism was that you held your, your arms out and you lowered yourself into the water and then you kind of rose back up again. And the idea was that there was a part of you that was supposed to die so that it could be reborn. The idea that we are raised to the ground, we are flattened, our old building is leveled to the ground, and a new building is raised in its, is brought up in its place. It's constructed in its place. John the Baptist was teaching them, repent, change your mind. Repent, walk away from your sins, be prepared for the coming Messiah. Let's take a little bit closer look at this idea. A lot of folks in our culture, maybe you fall into this category, believe that repentance is about cleaning house. It's about cleaning the spiritual house of your life. Like your life is all junked up by the things that you've said, thought, or done. And repentance is the idea of coming in, mask and gloves on, 
getting your hands dirty and cleaning up all the sin and all the disgusting stuff about you that you don't want anybody to know. And that when you've done that, you can now become a proper follower of Jesus. A lot of folks believe that this is what repentance is about. The idea of cleaning up one's own house. But we would say that again, back to the original language, repentance is a change of mind as it appears to one who repents, the person who does the repenting, should think about repentance in this way. Repentance is a change of mind as it has to do with your purpose. Repentance is about why you were made and why you were born and what you were made to be. Repentance is about a change of mind in that over and above what you've said or thought or done that was sinful and ungodly. Repentance is the idea that you have a specific purpose and that God has made you for that purpose and that he's given you a savior for that purpose. Not only to save your soul, but to activate you as a member of his kingdom. Here's what that means. The idea is that we are to think differently about who we are. We are to think differently about the lives we live. That our lives are meant to be purposeful based on what God has done, not on what we are capable of doing. Here's what that looks like. Repentance is about the idea that when the good news of Jesus comes along, there's a part of us in faith that dies. Our bodies don't die yet. What is it that dies when we encounter the good news of Jesus? It is our spirit that is attempting to live without God. The part of us that tries to live a life without God and tries to follow and worship other gods, things that we think will bring us comfort and peace, it is that part of us that dies. We literally are killed by the good news that Jesus has come to raise us from the dead. The old life in us is killed off so that a new life can be risen again from that old life that has died and been buried with Jesus. If you look at Romans chapter 6, when a person is baptized, like uh, our friend Paul will be in a few minutes, a little bit later this morning, when a person is baptized, the scripture says that we are buried with him in death. So the old life that you lived before Jesus, that life is gone. It is dead. There's nothing left of it. If you try to bring that life back, you can't. If you shock the paddles and put them on that old life and say, clear, that old life is not going to get up. It's gone. And all the habits and all the thoughts and all the words and the deeds that came with that old life have been buried with Christ. And that's not all. The best news of all is that a new life has been born in Christ in you. You have been raised from the dead with him. So in you, in Jesus, 
a death occurs. The old you has died and the new you has been born again. That repentance that John was calling people to was a repentance that called for a change of mind. What is it the people were to be prepared for? It was not to be prepared that they could save themselves by how they acted or by how they talked or even by how they thought. But instead, it was a baptism of change, of repentance, changing the mind, changing the way we think. We are not called to save ourselves. And that's what Advent is all about. That is what Christmas is all about. Christmas is the good news that you and I cannot save ourselves. That is simply and merely by faith in the coming Christ child that we are raised again to a new life. Now, a part of you might feel a little bit out of control hearing that message. That's good because you're not in control. That's the best news of all. Who is in control? Our loving God who gave us Jesus at or around Christmas time, at or around about 2,000 years ago. Repentance and following Jesus is literally about losing your old life and finding a new one. Have you ever thought about Christmas that way before? Have you ever thought about why we celebrate Christmas every single year? Could it be to remind us that we have a loving God that gave us the ability to have an abundant life? The same kind of life Jesus talked about in John 10.10. Could it be that God has meant more for us all along than just getting by? And that even in the doldrums and the darkness of the Christmas season for a lot of people, sometimes even for us, at the end of that darkness, the following day, what's going to happen? The sun's going to come up. A light will shine on the darkness. It's like we talked about last week. Have you ever thought about why the sun sets every day and then turns and rises again the following day? Could it be to remind us that because of God and his power and his love, that even in our darkest moments, because of what was done on the cross, there's always hope. Even in the darkest of nights, the following day, the sun's going to do what? It's going to rise. And it's only you and me who chooses to keep ourselves in the darkness when the sun has risen the next day. We can hide ourselves in a room or under a tarp or in sin, trying to find another God to rescue us. But as that shelter or that shade moves away from us and we step back into the light, we realize that God has warmed us and given us his grace every single day with the rising of the sun. It's a reminder that we always have what? Hope. We always have hope. And especially at the time of Christmas. Here's the kind of hope that Jesus brought. In fact, when John the Baptist was captured and imprisoned, his followers were hanging out with him around the prison 
and they were telling him about the things that Jesus was doing. And they left the prison and went to find Jesus and asked him, are you the one that's supposed to come or should we be expecting somebody else? And Jesus quotes uh, the, the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, and he says, land of, of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen what? A great light, like a great big light, like the sun, right? On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then he went on from that time and began to preach using the same word, repent, a change of mind, not a call to clean up our lives so we'd be acceptable to God, but a reminder that we cannot clean our lives up by what we do. It is God's power that makes us clean. It's God's power that makes us acceptable and holy in His sight. It is through Jesus that our lives are cleaned up and made clean. And in fact, the changing of mind is where we stop thinking that we need to clean ourselves up and accept the idea and the fact that we are clean already. We are already made clean. Our sins are already wiped away. The house of faith is already built for us and in us. And there's nothing that we need to do to become acceptable to a holy God. All that we are led to is faith. Faith in Jesus who makes all things new. And I don't know about you, but in the Christmas season, surrounded by people who do not feel hope beyond the day of Christmas, it would be a powerful thing for you and me to participate in the idea and sharing the idea that the repentance that God calls us to is a change of mind in the way we think. We no longer think of God as someone who requires us to clean up first. We now think of God as one who has cleaned everything up for us and declares us clean and holy. And through Jesus, this is a fact and it is true. Luther would even say it is most certainly true. It's the idea that God has done what is required. And for you and me, there's nothing more than faith in Jesus. Now, when you enter into faith in Jesus, is that where your faith stops growing? No. In fact, that's where it begins growing. The idea that God has cleansed us and made us new, remember, for a new purpose. The idea of being prepared for the coming Christ child is knowing that the purpose of our life is now resonating with what God intended in the first place. That we are a part of sharing the good news that He has accepted us, not because of what we do, but how? Because of what He has done. Is that good news for you right now here in the Advent season? 
think of how many people around you that you live with and around who need to hear that good news this Christmas season. Think about the idea that they may be waiting to hear it from you by the Holy Spirit working in you who has built a new life of faith in a new, clean, shiny life that you have in faith in Jesus. Think about that purpose and let that change your mind about who you are and about who God is in this Christmas season. Would you join me in that and join me in prayer as we close? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for doing whatever it took to erase my sin from your holiness and your presence. And that was your very life, your body and your blood nailed up on a cross, but then placed in the grave and then risen again. As we anticipate your coming and as we look to be prepared by you to receive the good news of Jesus again and again, we realize that you have done what it, you have already done what it takes to be pleasing and acceptable to a holy God. You've already done it. There need be nothing more required of us. So God, I confess to you that sometimes I am tempted to believe my faith is up to me. I lay that confession before you and I turn away from it and I repent of it. I allow you to change my mind this very day through the power of the Holy Spirit that you do not require me to be clean and holy before you. You've already done it. It's already done in Jesus. So I repent of that old thought, that old way that's up to me to save myself. And I lay that down before you. And I trust and I love you so that you cleanse me and make me holy through Jesus not because of my belief or what I've done, but because of what you have done and continue to do in me. So I celebrate you this Christmas, God, and I trust you with my whole heart. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen.